the Lord. Well, tonight my desire is that we could just come together from the very start and just set our focus, our hearts and our minds on the Lord Jesus himself. He's the reason we've gathered. He's the object of our worship. And I pray that we could encounter the Lord and be changed, be different when we leave than the way we were when we came. So let's just come together tonight and offer this song as a prayer and ask God to prepare us. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. I need to share this history with you so that you'll understand what's happening here and understand where we stand and the work that has to be done. This is not going to be a typical sermon. This is a war briefing. You understand when all the soldiers gather and they put all the charts up and they begin to explain this is the battle. That's what this is today. Some of you didn't come prepared to be in a, in a battle, but you're in one because you were called by God to be here. The Lord sent Jan and myself to California some years ago. And in that place, instead of allowing us to open our wonderful new church, he closed every door of possibility. He took away all of the money that we had until finally we had nothing. We were in a beautiful home in Moreno Valley, California, with no food in the cupboards, with no jobs, spending every day on our faces before God, pleading for his deliverance and his direction. And every time I would pray, there was a fence before me and I could not get to the throne room of God. I grew more and more despondent, more and more desperate, hungrier, I finally began to contemplate the impossible. Trying to get Jan to safety somewhere and walking out into the desert and dying. And I finally said to God, either you have to answer or I'm going to die. I'm going to walk out into the desert and I'm not coming back. I woke up that Saturday morning and I could not stop crying. It was not a nervous breakdown. I was desperate for God. My very life depended on God getting me out of that deep hole. Jan very kindly said, Ray, why don't you take a bath? She ran a bath for me and I climbed in. There were opaque Doors that closed and I was closed in. I began to scream at God at the top of my lungs. 
where are you, God? I'm going to die. I was desperate. I had no other option. And suddenly it's like a door opened beside me. And the Lord spoke. He said to me, Good. I've been waiting for you to die. And anger boiled out of my soul, and I railed against the Lord and said, Why? How could you dare do this to me? And he said to me, audibly, this was all audible, like we're talking now. He said, you were bought at a price, you're not your own. And everything in my soul just crumbled. All of the anger drained. My heart was just humble before God. And I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, would you be willing to receive only from my hand what I choose to give you? And I said, yes. And it's like he was walking away, and I said to him, is there anything else? He said, yes. Stop watching television. You see, I was praying from early in the morning until five or six at night, and then I would find my drug of choice, which was to be glued to the television until two o'clock in the morning. I just bought a brand new widescreen television before all the money ran out. Stop watching television. God had laid down for me now a place of abiding that either I would step into obedience and do what God told me to do, or he would not bring deliverance. There was a knock at the door. A man came to the door and said, Sir, I'm embarrassed to come to your door. You have a beautiful home. But Jesus told me you were hungry. Do you need food? I said, oh, yes, we need food. He said, come to the car. I went out to the car, 16 bags of groceries. Of course, there was a repo order on the car. We were going to be evicted from the house. Our utilities were all being shut off. Later that day, there was another knock on our door, and it was an attorney or a friend of ours who said, I need to take you to an attorney. I said, I don't need an attorney. I need Jesus. He said, no, you're to go to this attorney. So I went with him. I got in the attorney's office and he said, Pastor, after some chit-chat, how can I help you? I said, I have no idea why I'm here. He said, do you need money? I said, yes. He went to a safe and he pulled out a briefcase with a quarter of a million dollars worth of precious stones He said, I bought these as an investment. I need to liquidate them. I'll give you 15% of everything you sell. I said, I've never sold a gem. I wouldn't know one gem from another. He said, they're all in baggies. They're all priced. Just go sell them. I walked out of his office with a handshake with a quarter of a million dollars. 
Jan and I watched for the repo man the next morning, and he wasn't there, so we, it was a Saturday morning, so we headed out. We didn't know where we were going. We just had a quarter of a million dollars worth of gems in the car. We just drove. Wherever Jesus said turn, we turned. We ended up in Barstow, California. They were having a big gem show. We went to the largest tent. We said, we have gems for sale. Would you like to buy some? Well, he was selling gems. He said, yes, come back after the show. After the show. And I have to tell you, we were terrified, walking around all day carrying a quarter of a million dollars in our hands. We went to see this man after the show closed at his RV. He began to go through these gems. I'll take these. No, yes, I'll take the, no, no. When he finally sorted them all out, he'd purchased 50,000 some dollars worth of gems and he paid his cash. So we took the briefcase, we took the cash and the next day we went back to the attorney's office and he paid us 15% of that $50,000 and it paid all the back bills It covered every need, but none for the next month. (coughs) No surplus. And now we had to stand by faith for the rent for the next month. And Jan kept saying, Ray, you remember, we said we would only receive from the Lord's hand what he would give to us. We're not going to walk in fear, we're going to walk in faith. Oh, by the way, my time in the bathtub, Jan, never heard a a sound except my weeping. That was God. Now, why do I tell you this? Because the National Prayer Chapel is once more where I was in California before God spoke. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, what I mean is, Pastor Jan is going to die very quickly if God does not heal her. She cannot survive physically what's been happening. She almost died this past week. She looks weak today, but good. Believe me, some of you saw her, and it wasn't even her worst then. It was much worse when you weren't there. I've seen the pain. I've heard the cries. I've held her. But this church was not called to be a little tiny church in a rented building. God sent Jan and I back to Washington to start a revival. This church has to hear from God. We have said Satan is withstanding us. And he has been. So that Brother David, with absolute insulation, has been completely blocked out. About to be thrown out of his house. 
because he can't pay the rent. This happened because he made a commitment that he would only serve the Lord and the finances that came out of absolute insulation would fund national radio. So is Satan withstanding us? Yes. And no. The Lord promised that he would put us on national radio. Do you have any idea what that would cost a year? About $3 million a year in today's prices. God said he'd do that. Hasn't done it. God said revival was coming to Washington. I haven't seen hide nor hair of it. There's almost no response to the radio broadcast day after day. Almost no phone calls. Almost no response. Is the devil withstanding us? Yes and no. Brother Kevin came over to my home on Friday, got there about one o'clock, and he said, Pastor, I just need to come and pray. You know a man after you've prayed with a man. We prayed. Round Robin, we prayed. We stood on the promises. We commanded Satan to leave us alone and to deliver Jan and to deliver David and to deliver this church and deliver radio. We stood on the promises. Loudly we stood on the promises. He'd pray as long as he could and then I'd pray as long as I could. And then he'd pray and then I'd pray. Round Rob and the house sounded like there was a thunder in the house. About four o'clock, the Lord answered. And he said to me, you're too big for me to heal Jan. And I wept. He said, the National Prayer Chapel is too big for me to bless. I've been fasting all week. Jan has been losing weight all week. She lost eight pounds this week. In the hours of the night, the Holy Spirit began to speak. began to reveal things to my heart. I asked the Lord, what do you mean I'm too big? I know you're right, but what do you mean? I need to know concretely, what do you mean I'm too big? And what do you mean the National Prayer Chapel's too big? What's that mean? Would you tell me exactly what you are saying to me? I don't want to misunderstand it. It's too important. Too much hangs on it. So he began to speak to me about what he meant. He said, Ray, 
you see too much of the world and not enough of Jesus. You live too much in the world, not enough in Jesus. I said, what do you mean? He said, your frame of reference, your point of view is from this world, not from heaven. He said, you still have that residue of unbelief in your heart. I said, Lord, I know. Will you remove it? You see, the whole beginning of the National Prayer Chapel was around this issue of belief in God. When I went to prayer for a wife, now, 23 years ago. I didn't do it because I wanted a wife. I did it because I wanted God. I wanted Jesus. I wanted a concrete sign that he was there because I had lived in this world so much, even as a pastor, that I would say it was God doing it, but I was covering, I was the one doing it. We needed money for a Christmas television program on Channel 7 here in Washington. And so I had the board pray together that if the Lord would send the money, we would do the broadcast. It was $30,000 for this special. Not a problem. I just picked up the phone that week and tapped the business people that owed me some kudos. And by the next Sunday, I was prepared to announce to the congregation $30,000. It's in the bank. It's not a problem. It's covered. God did it. God didn't do it. I did it by touching people who had money. It wasn't anything to do with God. And of course, when we did the Christmas show, there was no result out of it. It was all flesh. It had no spirit power in it. There was no conviction in it. I preached a message, a wonderful message. It fell flat to the ground. We didn't add one person to the church for a $30,000 Christmas special. God made sure of that. So all of this started by my saying, I have to be able to come into the prayer closet, Jesus, and have you answer me without my touching it. I have to see the evidence that you're there. And after a year and a half of praying, the Lord finally spoke and said, I've chosen a woman for you. And I'll bring her to you. 
And six months later, the Lord sent me to my high school reunion that I'd not been back to for 25 years. And I looked up and saw Jan, and the Holy Spirit said, go meet your new wife. I was terrified. He couldn't have sent me a more perfect wife. She was God's choice. The Lord has carried us faithfully. We were meeting in the Vineyard Christian Fellowship building, and then with their construction program, the county blocked us and we could not attend that building anymore. We were without a church home. Jan and I sat in the car across the street and we wept before the Lord. And we said, Lord, if the church has no place to meet, it will fold. And you said that if we came to Woodbridge, we would not sink. We came to Woodbridge at the Lord's command. And in the midst of our prayer, the Lord spoke. He said, go across the street. I said, Lord, a Lutheran church will never rent to us. No answer. I told Jan, she said, well, let's go. I walked into this office back here to the secretary and I said, we have a crisis in our church and I explained it and I said, we need a place to rent. And the secretary cut me off and began to tell me all the reasons why they couldn't rent it to us. And out of a back office came a woman and she said, no, wait a minute, Karen. She turned to me and she said, my husband is the head elder of this church. Here's his name and phone number. Call him. I think we can work something out. I called Jim that evening. He said, Pastor, I don't think it's a problem. I think we can work it out. You could meet here on Sunday. Would you please call Chuck? He's the the manager of our facility. And now we have a signed contract with this church. And now they're saying to us, could we also provide an office for you? Amazing. God did it. So now let's talk about what we've got to do. Let's get down to the brass tacks. The Lord wants to do something in Washington, D.C., but we're going to have to get smaller if God's going to answer us. Hanging in the balance is my wife's life. Some of your finances hang in the balance. Some of your marriages hang in the balance. Some of your kids hang in the balance. Revival hangs in the balance. And ministry to Washington, D.C. hangs in the balance. And radio ministry hangs in the balance. And national radio hangs in the balance.
So what are we going to have to do? Romans, the 12th chapter. I'll begin with verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now you understand what this means. The Jewish people brought lambs, goats, bulls. They cut their throats and they put them on an altar and they burned them as a burnt offering before God. Now Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, you offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He's saying each of us have got to get on that altar and be before God a living sacrifice. Now let's be honest. We've gotten way too comfortable in Sodom and Gomorrah. Our children are being stolen by the enemy. We have not prayed as we ought. I have not prayed as I ought to pray. I've seen this war coming and I have not wanted to deal with it. I've seen life draining away from Jan. I have not wanted to deal with it. I've seen the life being drained out of some of you. I've not wanted to deal with it. I have seen the the enemy withstanding us with the radio ministry and with this church ministry, and I've not wanted to deal with it. And so, yes, I have prayed and prayed earnestly. I have read my scripture, but I have not pressed in as I ought to have. Why? Because I've been so absorbed in just surviving in the world. As of today, I'm no longer interested in surviving in the world. I'm interested in heaven. So if we're honest... If I'm honest, I have to confess there's been coldness of heart. There's been discouragement in my soul. The attacks of the enemy have been so powerful, I've allowed them to beat me down. It's been bone on bone. It has been for some of you, too. Some of you, even yet today, despair of your life. Oh, you're still coping. You're still managing. But your heart is a bleeding ulcer. 
you know you're not going to make it. You're trying, you're peddling, but you can't do it hard enough. We have to get to Jesus. And we have to stand by faith and enter into every place of abiding that he calls us to. And know that he alone is our deliverer. And it breaks my heart. I woke up this morning. Sobs began to flow from my heart. I said, God, I'm blind. Jesus, I'm blind. I can't see. I'm blind. I can't see what the real issues are. I can't see how I've made alliances with darkness. I I can't see it. I need this broken Jesus. I need you to come with light and glory. I need to see your face. And I see in some of your faces such darkness and such stubbornness, such hardness. It's been in my heart too. Has to change. You can't come to this church casually ever again. You can't just say, I'm going to show up at church again. Every one of you ought to be here right on time at 1.30 to begin praying. There's no urgency to pray because, hey, I'm coping. I've got my life. There's too much hanging on this. God called us as a national prayer chapel. He didn't call us as a social church. He didn't call us as a social do-good church. He called us as a national prayer chapel for this nation. This nation is being destroyed. Even while we're sitting in this house, the foundations of this nation are being torn down. The walls are coming down. Abortion, the murder of our babies, godlessness, wickedness on every hand. I have to say, oh God, I'm blind. I've been comfortable in Sodom. It's got to stop. I can't live comfortable in Sodom anymore. My brothers and sisters are being stolen. My grandkids are being stolen. I didn't raise my kids to have the devil take them. Yes, Lord. I didn't have children to have them go to hell. I've been withstood at every point, and most of you in this room, if you'll be honest with me, you have been withstood throughout most of your life. And time after time, you have faced defeat and said, where's God? Where's God? 
we've come to a point where we can't walk that way anymore. We've got to humble our heart before God. We've got to ask God to reduce us in size. We've got to step into every place he's assigned us to obey him. It's not casual time anymore. It's emergency time. It's war time. Satan cannot withstand the blood of Jesus Christ. Satan cannot withstand the blood of Jesus Christ. Sickness, finances, hard-heartedness, wickedness cannot withstand the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And every knee will bow, either in reverence or out of terror, before they're cast into hell. Ephesians 4.22 says, Put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what God wants for the National Prayer Chapel. He wants a people who will put on the new self, by the power of the blood of Jesus, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So he's called us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. Did you know your spiritual act of worship is not to show up in church or to pay tithes and offerings? Your spiritual act of worship is to lift your hands before Almighty God and say, I belong to you. I am yours. And I'll stand by faith on your word. Though the heavens fall, though I be rejected on every side, though sickness come, I will not waver. So we're being withstood with finances. We're being withstood by sickness. We're being withstood with the gospel of Jesus being proclaimed in this city. We're being withstood for the gospel of Jesus to be proclaimed in this nation. I stand by faith today that Jesus is going to make us small enough that he can use us. And he is going to break the power of the devil. And he's going to deliver us. He's going to deliver marriages. He's going to deliver children. He's going to deliver this church. He didn't call us together to be destroyed and withstood by the devil. He has made many promises. Has he whispered promises in your heart? He's going to keep those promises. He is a promise-keeping God. And you can trust him. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. If you want to know what it means to be reduced in size, stop conforming in any manner to the pattern of this world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. I have thought much too highly of myself. It's time to humble our hearts before God. Faith must rest on the will of God. Not on our desires or our wishes. I cannot have faith that God will heal Jan because I love her. Many men have loved wives who have died of cancer. Sentiment is not enough for God to answer prayer. Faith that works must rest alone on the will of God. And until a person knows God's will, they have no basis for faith. Because faith is expecting God to do what we know it is his will to do. I know it is God's will to heal Jan not because she's my wife, but because Satan has had a death assignment against her all of her life. Because Satan knew that God was going to use her to proclaim the gospel, to minister the word, and to tear down strongholds. He knew that Something special was assigned to Jan. That work isn't done. Until that work is done, Jan's going to stay with us. It's not enough for me to say, I want to be a successful pastor. I want a wonderful church. I want a successful business. I want to be able to pay my rent. I want to be able to do this and do that. That's what they do in Sodom. You want to experience Sodom this afternoon? Go to a mall. You'll find Sodom. Every wickedness. Every luxury. Every trinket. No, we have to know what the will of God is. And I know the will of God is to bring revival and to save the lost and the dying. I know that's his will. I know it's his will that we have national outreach and ministry. He's spoken that to us. I know it's his will to save our families. Wives and husbands and children, grandchildren. I know it's his will. 
And so today, I have a basis for faith because I know what God's will is. And I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray until God breaks through. This is not something that can go on. If it goes on, Jan's life will drain away and be gone. God is only using Jan's life to put a fire under me and under you. So am I discouraged? No. Am I in despair? No. Am I afraid? No. I believe Jesus. Am I concerned? Yes, because I have more prayer time in the closet this week to finish getting small enough so a victory can be sounded in the camp. Today, do you know that you're too big or is this a shock to you? Do you know you're too concerned about your own life and not enough about Jesus? Is this a surprise to you? I have never known or seen a man or woman who would lay it all down and go after Jesus. I've read some accounts of men who've done this. Charles Finney, John Wesley. I've read accounts But I've never known a man who would just lay it all down. I've laid it all down. I'm going for Jesus. Will you lay it down too? And will you give up your normal life, your worldly life, every attraction of the enemy, would you lay it down? And would you seek Jesus until he answers? Some of you have much sin to repent of and confess. Some of you have been doing that for quite a while and you have a shorter list. But all of us have a lot of work to do in the prayer closet. It's got to be fought out in the prayer closet. So this week I urge you to read for our direction for the battle, Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through through 3. Ephesians 4, 22, 23, 24. Luke 9, 23 through 27. The passages Jan gave you. Mark 11, 22 through 
through 25. John 14. Twelve to fifteen. These are the scriptures you need to pray. James, James, the fifth chapter, what were the verses, Jan? Thirteen to sixteen. This is the work that has to be done. Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it for Jan? Will you do it for this church? Will you do it for the city of Washington, D.C.? Will you do it for America? Will you do it for your family and your children? your husbands and your wives? Will you do it for the people you love? It's time.
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother and my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh